Hello and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Tori. Hello, Internet. And Dave. Hi there. Uh, as always, we start with good thing. Uh, Tori, you want to you wanna get us going? Sure. I have a cat in my face. Hang on. <laughs> that is a good thing. Yeah, yes, I enjoy that. This is my cat, Spooky, who is 15 years old, I think. <laughs> so... And every time I'm listening to the audiobook for Mistborn at home, he gets confused when he hears them talking about spook. <laughs> anyway, my good thing is a show I found on Netflix called The Dragon Prince. So it's only a handful of episodes, like 10, I don't know. And uh, it's a, a fantasy with magic and elves and dragons. And I so thought it was... tracking a dragon? And they have to search for dragon prints to track no. them down? So what happened was the humans came up with some kind of evil magic that's not good. So all the other races drove the humans out to this kingdom in the West. And the elves and whatnot guard the border against them with the help of this giant dragon. But a year before the story begins, the, the humans like increased their efforts in the war and managed to assassinate the dragon and uh, also break the egg of the dragon prince, which is his only heir. So now there's not going to be another dragon king. And um, so the war has intensified and everybody is all up in the human's grill because they're trying to get retribution for the death of the dragon prince. And then it turns out the egg was not destroyed. It was just taken. So some conscientious princes uh, from the human kingdom uh, join up with this elf who was actually there to assassinate them in retribution over this crime um, to try and take the egg back to the dragon people. So, but it was fun. It was perfectly suitable for families um, the dialogue was hilarious. There was a lot of humor involved and lots of, um, a lot of fantasy tropes, but not overly predictable. So yeah, I recommend it. Fun for everybody. Neat. Um, yeah, I just, uh, looked this up on TV tropes and apparently it's made by a couple of the same people who were fairly high up in the Avatar The Last Airbender show. Yes, and you could totally tell from the show that those were its origins, uh, particularly in the witty dialogue that I mentioned. Neat. I'll have to check it out. Uh, cool. Dave, what you got? Uh, my good thing this week is a video game on Steam, and it is called FTL, Faster Than Light. And I know Mike's a fan of this game. Yes, I have played it and extensively. he didn't think I could beat it. Uh, there was one time I was streaming it, and he said, you'll never beat the game with, with this setup. And I beat it, and I saved the recording, and we're, we were supposed to watch it together. Oh, um, we never got back around to that, did we? No, nah, but I was listening to the soundtrack this morning, which is phenomenal. If you like uh, spacey, atmospheric music, it is just grand. It is on Spotify as well. If you go to listen to it on Spotify, look for the playlist. FTL reordered. Uh, all of the music 
basically every song has two versions. There's the exploration song and the battle song version of the song. And the reordered playlist plays you both versions of the songs back to back. The original play, the original album has all the explore music, then all the battle music. But I think you get a better experience hearing both versions of each song back to back. The game has you commanding a spacecraft and your job is to uh you're fighting imperial no you're fighting rebels you're you're actually are the empire in this game uh but you have there are rebels that you're trying trying to defend against and there's big wars about to break out and you have vital information about the rebels rebel flagship weakness and you have to go through space through several different sectors to get uh back to the imperial homeworld so that you can get that information out and basically stop a war from happening uh it, it controls like you're basically playing an episode of star trek without all the boring diplomacy stuff and i say that jokingly because i actually think the diplomacy stuff in star trek is really interesting because i'm a big nerd but uh just imagine star trek but only only the battles and stuff and upgrades <laughs> lots of upgrades uh, but you can upgrade your doors so that uh, if you get boarded, you know, the enemy has to blast through them. You can buy a teleporter so that you can transport onto other people's ships. You can get lasers, you can get beams, you can get missiles, you can get drones. A lot of cool options and different different play styles. You can, you know, pick which play style you like. Some of them are more difficult than others, but... It's designed so that the game is beatable with many different play styles. Um, it is heavily randomized. Uh, about the only meaningful choices you get are like your starting ship, and like as you progress, you can you know visit shops and choose to buy stuff or not buy stuff. Although a lot of the time, you're not going to have enough money to buy the stuff you want. Um, but it is nigh infinitely replayable. Um, because of all the randomization. Yay. Um, I'm personally a f- big, big fan of the Mantis ship, which comes with a four-spot transporter, which I don't think is available on anything else. I think all the other transporters you get are only two spots. Um, and a bunch of Mantises maybe, who are super-duper good at combat. C. Huh? Maybe the rebel ship C comes. One, no, one one of the other ones does, like one of the special ones. But as far as all the racial ships go, yeah, I think the Mantis is the only one with the four person teleporter. Um, I'm pretty sure there is one other one. But I don't. I don't even know if I have it. But yeah, that ship doesn't come with weapons because your crew is the weapon. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, there there are like drone ships that are just gonna wreck your shop. Um, but against like manned ships at least early on, you are solid. You're going to go in there and just absolutely right. destroy them, and it's fantastic. It's a great early game boost. <laughs> the, the problem is uh, the drone ships don't have oxygen on them, Yeah, and all but one of the races in the game actually need oxygen to survive. <laughs> uh, although the rocks don't need as much oxygen, so that's at least a little bit viable. Right. Um, anyway... Super duper fun game, nigh endlessly replayable. I should get back into it. It's it's very very good. Um, Real quick though, my favorite ship is after you beat the game for the first time, you get the you get a rebel ship actually, 
and it just has this uh, this one system. I think it's called OP Laser or something. <laughs> you just sit and it charges and it like wipes out their ship in one shot if you can keep it powered on long enough. Yeah, it uh, pierces shields, so you're you're guaranteed to get actually damaged through. And it has like a super long, like path that it travels it as it's firing. Rooms. Yeah. yeah. So, but it also takes a super duper long time to charge up, and any sort of damage to either that system or your just general power systems um, will cause issues and and stuff. Anyway, really great game. Um, one full run through the game takes like an hour, hour and a half. Um, unless you die, in which case it's going to be shorter. <laughs> uh, so I think it's my turn now. Uh, I actually have two this week since we didn't record last week. So I have I have two good things built up. They're both YouTube channels. The first is called Legal Eagle. Um, a lot of what he oh, does yeah. is is like guides and support for law students. Um, since he is both a um, an attorney and a law professor. Um, but he, what he also does every once in a while is he watches legal scenes from TV shows and movies and then critiques them for how accurate they are um, to the like actual U.S. legal process. Uh, I think my favorite is the one that Dave watched, which was the, uh, the Phoenix Wright one. Yep. Uh, which I don't know why he didn't give it enough. Maybe he's just a really easy teacher. <laughs> well, Phoenix Wright takes place in the future, so you have to give it some leeway. I don't think I do. Uh, it also takes place in Japan, which was, I think, the source of most of his leeway, was he doesn't know the Japanese legal system. He knows the American one. It takes place in Japafornia. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that was... That was fun. He was also critiquing the anime and not the game. True. So um, it probably, probably would have been way worse if he were critiquing the game. You know, it was hilarious, though. There was one line where he's like, you know, it's not the defending attorney's job to accuse the witness and prove the witness of murder. And I was like, he's never played the games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because inevitably your client is innocent and one of the people that you're going to interact with over the course of the case is guilty, and it's not good enough to just prove your client innocent. You have to find who the guilty person is, otherwise you you lose attorneying. Yeah, and that's one of the things about the element of it being in the future, because the court systems work differently, and the burden of proof is on the defense, and they have three days to prove their client's innocent. Because the the court system's rushed and they're trying to get people into prison, I guess. Sure. And, and you know, prosecutors are like the big heroes in the world. Um. All right, my next one, because I, as I said, I have two this week, uh, is another YouTube channel. Uh, this one is called Binging with Babish. Uh, that is a cooking show, uh, where he, um, takes some sort of meal or dish or whatever that showed up in, again, TV or movies, um, and then attempts to recreate it uh, as, faithfully as, as faithfully as possible. And then, if that ends up being bad, he tries to make a good version of it after. 
Um, is that the guy that made fry bits? No, he didn't do fry bits. Okay, there was in my, there was another channel where someone was making Steven Universe food. Uh, my favorite one is the "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" one, where he did rum ham and riot juice and milk steak. And the mm. original versions of all three of those were awful. So he made good stuff. Milk steak sounds good, but I'm from Philly, so. Uh, it was not. He took a steak and he boiled it in milk and then put jelly beans on it. <laughs> because that must have been a Charlie thing. That was a Charlie thing, yes. <laughs> um, like, the, fi- the finished products all looked really great. And uh, the doing Riot Juice as, like, the second thing he did was probably a mistake because he was pretty blitzed for the rest of it because he drank a bunch of grain alcohol. Um, anyway... Great show. Uh, both of them are very, very, very much exactly up my alley. Uh, I enjoy cooking shows, just sort of in general. I've already finished watching all of the Binging with Babish episodes, like the proper ones, and I've moved on to Basics with Babish, where he um, basically goes through and goes over, like, these are things that you, as an aspiring home chef, should know how to do and here's how to do them and these are some simple dishes that are going to look and taste really impressive that you can do at home without it being all that difficult like you're you're going to work on your skills as you do this but you don't need much in the way of skills to do these things um yeah super duper good so what chapters did we did we cover dave 29 30 and 31 uh, you want to walk us through those? Because I don't remember them. Hmm. Tori does. Um, let me read off my bullet points here. I've, uh, start with chapter 29. Okay. Uh, logbook. Rayshik. Cold World. Well of Ascension. Seized, let's Vin try ferrochemical pewter. Kelsier returns. Renault confirms Chandra. Marsh donates map. Plan to take out soothing stations. Vin must have forgotten about the ATM mining. <laughs> okay, so we start off with Vin finishing up the logbook. And she gets to the part with, uh, you know, Rayshik, the one terraceman who's starting to dissent against uh, pre-Lord Ruler, Lord Ruler. And yeah, it's really interesting that the world is overly cold. You know, it's snowing everywhere, and it's really, you know, presumably because the deepness is causing it. And it's funny because it's in such contrast with the state of the world as we know it today, where the sun is red and blazing hot, and all the plants are brown and everything, always mist. It's completely different from how the world was before the ascension. So then uh, Seized lets Vin try some of his pewter that he had stored some ferrochemical strength in. She burns it and doesn't really work. And I wrote down a note. Seized's earring is not like Vin's. Oh, there was... Man, I wish I wrote down a page number for that. Because there was something that kind of didn't make sense to me. Because Seized's earring had a clasp on the back of it. And there was a very, there was a very poignant part where Kelsier says that Vin can keep her earring because it does not have a clasp on it. 
Okay, let me speak as a girl with pierced ears. <laughs> okay. Um, those are just different types of earrings. Usually, like, big dangly ones, they just loop through your ear and they don't have a back on them. You can put a back on them if you're worried about them falling out, but generally the way they're shaped and the way they go in, they're not going to fall out. You don't have to worry about that. Uh, other smaller types of earrings do have backs on them, and it's it, it's not unusual. It's just there are different types of earrings. That's how earrings do. Yeah, I understand, but I think that it even said in chapter 29 that, you know, Seizid's earring was like Vin's earring, but it's not because Seizid's earring had a pin, had a back to it, and Vin's is just a hook. That is, oh, that like they're I both. Said, you can have the exact same earring with a back or without a back. It, it's just a matter of preference. Okay, on so it can be like it, but not. Yeah. The, I mean, I, I can understand Seizid not. I thought it important to write this down when I read, <laughs> read the chapter. The descriptive there was that they are both like little little studs of metal with uh, okay. with a bit of other metal that goes into the ear. Uh, the difference is that Vin's is just bent so that it stays in place, whereas Sazed's had a proper clasp to the back of it. I still want to know what material Vin's earring is made out of because, like, all right, we've we've learned that ferrochemical power is not transferable, so. Unless maybe Sazed stored something in that earring long, long ago and forgot about it, then it's not going to matter. Or if Vin learns how to tap into the ferrochemical power. Or maybe it's made of gold and she'll figure out how to make burning gold useful. I don't know. There's got to be something in that earring. There's got to be. It's, it comes up way too often. And, I mean, I understand that it's a memento from her mother after her mother tried to kill her. But, yeah. So uh, Kelsier comes back, and they do refer to Lord Renault as uh, Chandra. Those are the shape-shifting studios. Uh, the house Ellen Ventures house had one, and then they get a table into the wood shop. Clubs is wood shop, and one of the legs of the table is hollowed out. And there's a map in there, and now we got to copy down the map as. Uh, you know, the positions of all the soothing stations. And so they got to copy it and send it back to Marsh. Uh, and, you know, in all their plans of taking out the soothing stations, they didn't really seem that concerned of uh, making sure Marsh, Marsh doesn't die. <laughs> uh, because what they, they have all these little, um, they have all these little squads, right? All the, the army broke up and they hit them all in different places. So they have all these squads and, each squad's only going to know their particular part of the plan, so it's going to be hard to protect Marsh when they go and invade the soothing station. So, watch out, dude. I still suspect you of betraying Kelsier, but watch out. Okay, and then you know they ask Vin, "Yeah, Vin, did you did you get any dirt on House Venture?" And she's like, "Oh no, nothing. Couldn't find anything." So I guess. She she learned, she, Ellen told her about the 18 mine. I guess she just slipped her mind. And that's the end of chapter 29. Any questions, class? No. Okay. Then on to chapter 30, I wrote Creepy Ball, Anime Fight Scene, <laughs> and uh, Maladroitly. <laughs> Every time I read the word Maladroitly in the text, it stands out to me now. Thank you very much, Mike. 
you're welcome. <laughs> and you should take a drink every time you see it because, I mean, you won't get that trash because it's a fairly long book and it doesn't show up that often. But, yeah. Okay. So, creepy ball. So, Vin goes to the ball at House Venture. And suddenly people are ignoring her. They're going out of their way to avoid her or being downright rude to her. She has no idea what's going on. And then she and Zayzad, I think she actually finds out that this is the last ball. This is where the houses are finalizing their alliances and getting ready for war. And since House Renault made itself too much of a neutral force, Vin is a liability and nobody can trust. So she does get to meet up with Ellen and, you know, Ellen just breaks up with her. He says, you know, we, we were both playing a part. We both know it. It's time to end the shenanigans. So she's all upset and. She goes over and finds her old friend Cliss. Cliss is the the vapid airhead, the the ball gossip, and Cliss actually turns out to be really clever. What Cliss does is she acts like a big gossip so that she can infer information based on the obvious lies that other noblemen tell her. So you know. Oh, so-and-so attacked what's-his-face. And she's like, all right, now why is this house spreading a rumor about this other house? And she pieces together a lot of information in a negative sense that way. And through her powers of deduction, she learned that uh, that House Eladriel is, at this very moment, going in to assassinate Ellen Venture and that Straff Venture is playing a part in it and allowing the attack to happen. Uh, Straff Venture would love nothing more than an excuse to write off the heir to his house because he doesn't trust Ellen to take over after he's gone. And Vin finds out about this, and despite having just been dumped by Ellen, she still cares for him, and she wants to go save his life. And uh, so she does. She... Alumance out of the out of a window in the hallway and flies around and uses her heightened pin senses and whatnot to go and starts taking off her dress like mid Alumancy as she's flying through the mists. Time out um, real quick. Yeah, I am disappointed in you for not using the word defenestrate. I don't think she self defenestrated yourself. Self defenestrated. <laughs> She yeah, did. If you're throwing something out of a window, even if it is self, <laughs> maybe self-defenestration. I, I can see it. I only bring this up because that is my very favorite word in the entire world. Defenestrate. Okay. Yeah. And I, I learned its my definition. Word is asunder. I learned its definition from an episode of The Spectacular Spider-Man, which if I haven't done it as a good thing, and I don't think I have, I really should. Oh, is, that the, is that like the... Like the thick line cartoony one where he's like in high school and Kitty Pr- not Kitty Pride, Black Cat's still a thief and like I th- you say Spectacular Spider Man? Spectacular Spider Man. And his and Aunt May is like younger? I think so. But there have been many, many, many Spider's men 
and we might be talking about different things, even though you're giving a pretty solid description of it. Okay, but if you're talking about the cartoon Spectacular Spider-Man that was around maybe like 10 years ago, yeah, that show was really good. Yeah. It was a good thing. And it had a great theme song. Like, really good theme Spider-Man, song. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Radioactive Spider-Man. No, that was that one. the 90s one. <laughs> I loved that show when I was a kid. Oh, that did not stand up to the test of time at all. Oh, I man. I haven't gone back and watched it, but I've I've heard that. Like, you <laughs> you should just to, just to get it for yourself instead of taking someone else's word for it. But, oh, man, you really shouldn't. I usually take nostalgia critics word for stuff like that. It doesn't hold up at all. The the nineties X Men of... cartoon does. Like that was spe- that was phenomenal. And despite the fact that okay. they came at it about the same time and like were made in a very similar way, yeah, no, Spider Man doesn't hold up at all. Interesting. Oh, anyway, I should watch back, back to the book. To back and... Yes. Okay, so <laughs> there's this really this is really kind of humorous fight scene, actually. I just imagine this. If there were a Mistborn anime, this scene would be so good. You'd have... <laughs> this is the scene that would be part of the intro. <laughs> I consider this this fight scene to be basically the final exam of the book of do you understand Allomancy? Because you really need to by now. <laughs> so... Vin is up against, uh, I think, two Mistborn and four Mistings. One of the Mistborns, she learns, is Sean Alariel herself. And they're just, like, maybe a couple coin shots, a couple uh, polars. I forget what the polars are called. And actually, there's a, there's, a, uh, there's a glossary in the back and a quick reference guide for the different Alimantic powers, which I just discovered this week. Uh, that is, I discovered the glossary. I didn't discover Alimantic powers. <laughs> um, be careful with those. Uh, those are... There's there's one of those in the back of just about every book in the Cosmere. Um, y- if you look there too early, like, you're you're far enough along in the book now that it's not an issue for right. this one. Um, yeah, this but, one, everything I had read in the glossary was something that I had already read about. But. Yeah, just be careful with that in future books, because it does basically assume that you have the information from the book you're reading before you get there. Uh, okay. Like, from the ending of the book or from the middle of the book? Um, a little bit of everything. Alright, just tell me when I can read them. Yeah, you're you're good for that one now. I don't know when you will be for the for the next book. I can do some digging and figure out exactly when you'll be okay. Okay. So, all right, continue. Okay, so the thing that's I fr- I love about this is they're throwing armored soldiers at each other, <laughs> and it actually reminded me of an episode of Ron Mahaff <laughs> where. Uh, oh my gosh, I love Ron Mahaff. <laughs> Ranma and Kodachi Kuno are having a martial arts gymnastics fight. If you've never watched Ranma half, then you might not understand martial arts gymnastics. But in in the world of Ranma half, everything, including takeout delivery. Everything is a martial arts fight. (laughs) 
<laughs> They've got martial arts figure skating and martial yeah. arts takeout delivery. Like. You signed us up for a figure skating contest. No, it's a martial figure skating and contest. Oh, and, yeah, and Ron was so good at martial arts that no matter what he's doing, if it's yeah. martial arts, he's good at it. Yeah, he, it's always, <laughs> oh, we can win. It has the word martial in it. We can win. <laughs> Can't stand up in skates, but if it's but martial yes, arts figure skating, he's a pro. The gymnastic fight when Kodachi throws her brother at Ranma. Exactly, and that's what was what came to mind. Fortunately, throwing brothers is legal in this match. <laughs> so yeah, literally yeah, throwing people at other people. So this is this is just an anime fight scene at this point. Uh, so Vin is able to take them out. She. Uh, she actually gets into a an ATM showdown with Sean Alario. She's taken out the other Mistborn. Um, I don't remember how she made him fall, and she just like it was kind of funny because she's like in her underwear, and her underwear is like shorts and a t shirt, but she's in her underwear like lands in the courthouse. But uh, so anyway, she's fighting. Sean and she figures out that Sean is burning ATM. She's like, "Oh crap! I don't have that much ATM. Sean probably has way more than I do." So, so Vin extinguishes her ATM early to bait Sean into turning hers off, and then Vin turns hers back on and destroys her and like cuts her and kills her. She like she got like a cut on her arm. In the fight, she goes back. She's out of there. And I wrote, "Oh, I don't understand." Okay, all right. Why? Why doesn't the ATM precognition let them see when their op- opponent is going to burn ATM? Like, if I'm burning ATM, say, all right, Sean is burning ATM. Can't she see that? Vin is about to burn ATM and prevent her from doing it? Like, why Why isn't the first person who burns ATM just automatically win? Because ATM is exempted from ATM. Is that a fact, or are you saying? If it's not, then the scene doesn't make sense because of the things you're pointing out. Okay. Alright, then. So, ATM, not only burning ATM gives you permission, but ATM itself has precognition. And prevents itself from detecting itself. Got it. That is probably the best way to put that, unfortunately. (laughs) Alright. I accept it. Um, Real quick, have you noticed the pretty vast difference in fighting styles between Vin and Kelsier? Uh, Well, Vin is more clever, and she's better at hiding and being sneaky. Kelsier is really flashy. I didn't really think it's well on it but now that you mention it i mean there's an obvious difference and also vin is learning to use her training from all the individual mistings like this whole only burn your medals when it'll give you the most advantage that's exactly what ham told her to do um i'm referring more specifically to kelsier uh and Think back to the uh, the paperweight scene. Mm-hmm. Kelsier likes to chuck things at people. Kel- Kelsier is a bit more of a of a distance fighter, um, where Vin almost exclusively likes to get up close with knife work and rely on her pewter. Okay, I don't think she's actually fought with her knives. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, she didn't have her knives for this, but she at least didn't have her knife for this. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. Like even when she has coins and could be shooting them at people, she generally doesn't. Hmm. Um. Generally, her uh, her steel and iron are used to move her. And to prevent other people from shooting coins at her, but it's almost never, like, something that she does to other people. So, Vin is Vin is kind of a thug in a fight. Well, and I, I think part of that, I, I don't know that Brandon Sanderson thought this far into it, but it matches the psychological profile he has set up for her as growing up a poor ska with nothing that, of course, she wouldn't want to throw things around, she's more likely to want to hold on to things. Just... That was addressed, you know, when Kelsier was training her, how, like, she's just going to leave that coin sitting on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a fun thing during, I don't know if I brought this up before, but um, during a Q&A with Brandon Sanderson, the guys who make the Wheel of Time spoilers podcast uh, managed to get a question in, and they asked if there are any, like, if there are any Ska who just sort of follow Mistborn around and survive on the coins that they leave lying around everywhere as they <laughs> jump around the city. What was the answer? Uh, probably not, but it got a laugh out of him. <laughs> I think there is one point where either someone picks up a coin or like they're like, well, someone's going to pick up that coin tomorrow. <laughs> they, they do actually make that um yeah, so Sean Alariel is dead. Vin won a Mistborn v. Mistborn matchup. More than that, even, because she had to take out another Mistborn in four Mistings to get to that point. Yeah, but um, that other Mistborn didn't have a name, so he doesn't count. Right. Well, it he also didn't have even, a face. even though Vin didn't have her knives in this fight, just going along with what Dave was saying, um, she did kill Sean by, I think she grabbed an arrow out of the air. And oh, ran. yeah, she matrixed an arrow and stabbed her with it. That's what it was. Two arrows, because the one first one didn't quite drop her because of pewter. Okay, chapter 31. Uh, start off the chapter, the good old time, uh, making fun of Breeze. Uh, he's like, he is so Fraser Crane. So. <laughs> I'm like, I'm really glad I can't stuck up. And everyone makes fun of him for being stuck up. And he's like, why are you making fun of me? You're the ones that aren't cultured. <laughs> uh, okay. And, you know, Vin comes in all bloodied from her battle. Sees it was about to go pick her up. And she shows up at the door. And, of course, first thing uh, that happens is Doxin yells at her for <laughs> messing up her dress. Doxin's the bookkeeper. He has to buy all these dresses and things. And of course, Spook is there, and he's all flustered because she's in her, she's in her underwear, which again is like a t-shirt, but still. Yeah, she she is fully dressed except on a technicality. Yeah, and that, they actually say that she, she's like, "This is what I wear wore as a Scott, basically." And the guys are like, "Yeah, but it's it's the idea that it's like it's forbidden to see you in." this outfit though um okay and you know kelsier and everyone are like well kelsier's like yeah you ruined the plan for this boy what are you doing well after she tells him that she kind of sort of killed a misborn and <laughs> saved hell adventure 
And, you know, Vin goes off. He's just like, okay, Kelsier and, and all these other guys in their crew, you don't know what it's like to be a Sky. You're too far removed from your roots, you know, because of your power or because of your wealth. You know, you don't know what it's like to go to bed at night hoping that your crew members don't uh, kill you or do other things to you. You don't know what it's like not knowing where you're going to eat, not being clean. Like, And then she just storms off and goes up to the roof to, as Tori said before the recording started, have a good cry. And she's up there crying in the mist. And Kelsier comes up and he's like, hey, it's all right. We understand frustration. We're, we're not going to start hating you. And, you know... A lot of uh, a lot of this a lot of this uh, depression that's coming from Finn right now is not just that Ellen broke up with her, but really that her brother abandoned her. You know, her brother used to used to beat her, and just to explain to her that he was going to beat her, and but you know he was he was always there, and he admits that she actually loved Reen, and even though he was so mean to her. And not mean, like horrible to her, and eventually abandon her. And she asks Kelsier, you know, when are you going to abandon me? And I think Kelsier does the right thing here and doesn't say, doesn't try to, oh, I'll never leave you or I'll, we'll always be a family. No, he just says, oh no, you know, he can't promise that they will never separate. So he's honest with her in that regard, which I thought was really cool. And so Vin finally fesses up and tells them what's the deal with the house venture and that uh, house venture is mining the ATM for the Lord Ruler. And then we go to another scene with Ellen Venture. And he's uh, he's with one of his supposedly enemy buddies, one of his frenemies. <laughs> now, one of his uh, one of his buddies from uh, an opposing house. And they get the report back from the spy that uh, Vin retreated to this uh, this workshop, this uh, woodworking shop. And they're like, why, what, why are they coming here? This place is weird. It must be a front for some thieving crew. So they're like, oh, Vin wasn't a spy for a, uh, a rival house. Vin was just trying to rob me. What a relief. And... You know, they also make the point that uh, Vin is a ska. You know, they found she's a ska. And, you know, Ellen is just marvels at the fact that they had no idea she was a ska, that she fit in so perfectly. And maybe there isn't really a genetic difference between ska and uh, Lubles after all. And then he goes home and his dad uh, meets up, he meets up with his dad, Straffin. Draft says, Ellen, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be dead. I mean, somebody tried to kill you, and you weren't here, so we got worried. Uh, yeah. There you have it. That's chapter 31. Okay. I've got some things to say about this, but not until well, spoiler Tori, time. Tori has more thorough notes, and tell me if I missed anything important. No, I, I think you covered it pretty well. You even covered some things that you remembered that I did not put in my notes, so good on you. All right. Um, where is all of this going now, Dave? Um, part two. It's a trilogy. Okay, but we're we're pretty we're pretty far into the book. You should have some guesses as to where the story is going from here. 
Well, there's a house war about to start, so it's probably going to go there. It's a, and this is, uh, you know, this was Kelsier's plant to, to start the house war and cause some chaos in the city so that they could take over, you know, Credit Shaw. And they're going to start by taking out these soothing stations with their little squad troops. And um, On that front, uh, did you did you catch the Kelsier being dad proud of of Vin leaving Chandelarial's corpse on Venture Grounds? Oh yeah, I I forgot to mention that, but I did see that that was his dad proud. Like I can't officially uh, I can't officially condone this, but I'm proud. Yeah, leaving the corpse on the Venture Grounds just to cause more confusion among the house. And the fact that while Kelsier put in, like, 90% of the, the prep work for the house war, Vin probably got it started for real? Uh, I don't know. It was basically already starting. That was the whole point of the ball. But maybe in Kelsier's mind, he thought Vin started it. Uh, Alright, well, what else you got before we before we boot you? Uh, I think probably Kelsier's gonna die. Not maybe not in this book, maybe in one of the other books, but uh, let's see. They'll hmm, maybe take over some of the soothing stations, and uh, then they'll Marsh will die in the chaos and confess that he was the one that betrayed Kelsier all along. Yeah, stuff like that. I'm typing all this in the spoiler discussion so we can keep track of it. One sec. Okay, got them all written down. You have. I think probably Kelsier's going to die, they'll maybe take over some of the soothing stations, and Marsh will die in the chaos and confess that he betrayed Kelsier, and I misspelled he, so let me edit that. It's a two-letter word, and I misspelled it. Good job, me. All right, uh, anything else? Nothing comes to mind. All right, well then, thanks for uh, recapping for us, and we'll catch you next week. All right, enjoy. All right, have a good one. and thanks for all the fish. <laughs> and he's gone. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. Okay. Um, dang it. Dang he, it? Why he, dang it? He thinks Kelsier's gonna die. Uh, I mean, it... Seems pretty obvious on a second read-through or a third read-through. How many times have I read this by now? Jeez. Um, yes, but he's on his first read-through, and he shouldn't have that sort of info. Um, although... He's paying very close attention. Marsh will die. That's... Ha ha. Ha. Yeah, that's, ha, that's, ha. A, that's wrong. <laughs> that's extremely wrong. I have something I'm going to talk about. Yeah, you go, because I don't remember my thing. So there's uh, a couple of places in this chapter triad where Sazed talks about religions. And um, I just wanted to talk about some of those. First off, okay. um, they're both in chapter 29, the parts I want to point out. Uh, first is when he's talking with Ven and tells her about the Astalsi, a religion that believed color could tell fortunes. 
Um, these people were scientists who analyzed the light and color, and they believed everyone had a finite quantity of ill luck. So whenever something bad happened to you, it meant that good things were coming. And so I just finished a reread of Warbreaker, which is all all about the colors. So uh, you, it you got think me maybe wondering. that ties in. Yeah, it, it got me wondering how much of these religions that Seiza talks about are actually related to the rest of the Cosmere. And I know in the past we have talked about how maybe fortune is one of the um, shards that we haven't met yet, since fortune seems to come up a lot, a lot. Um, I never got the sense that fortune was a shard. I got the sense that it was um, basically like one of those... One of those, like, core meta-concepts of the Cosmere, along with, you know, investiture, um, identity, connection, things things in that neighborhood. I could see that, too. Like, it's it's just one of those basic building blocks of, you know, this, this is one of the things that everything else is built on, was, was sort of the sense I got from Fortune. Although we haven't seen much from it, it's gotten mentioned a couple of times, uh, notably by Odium near the end of um, Oathbringer. But yeah, we need we need some more info. But I I just I got the sense that it was it was less you know a a shard name and more core concept. Well, now that I've got that percolating in my brain, I'm resolved to pay more attention on my rereads as that stuff comes up. But, um, so yeah, the Astalsi, they believed in color, and color could tell fortunes. So. Alright, um, given what we know of Nalthus, yeah, that, that does track a bit, and, I mean, there should, pre-Ascension, there should have been, um, ideally a pretty good amount of traffic, uh, through, um, Scadriel. And then post-Ascension, apparently they primarily used the Pits of Hathson to get in and out, and there was still a, a decent amount of travel, according to Hoyd. Um, but once, I think probably in the next section when Kelsier goes in and wrecks that, uh, that makes things way harder because the other way onto the planet is a prison, which comes with all of its own issues. Um, so... Could continue with religion, religion me, religiosity okay, so they, me. Uh, <laughs> the other religion that Seiza talks about, uh, two religions, when he's having a conversation with Kelsier at the end of that chapter, and Kelsier says, "Hey, tell me about another one." And uh, so Seiza starts by, um, and I didn't write down the name, but talks about a religion that um, was really into maps and cartography, and they believed that once they had the map of the world once they had everything documented and recorded that basically all their problems would be solved and they would find everlasting peace or whatever. I don't know. They were really into drawing maps. Um, and then Kelsier's like, oh, tell me about the Vala again, uh, which is one that they've talked about before. It was the one that uh, lasted the longest um, in opposing the Lord Ruler. The, and the religion... The Lord Ruler... Sorry, the map-making religion was called the Truth of the Bennett. Ah, yes. Um, I, I don't know if that's relevant, but just the idea of 
maps and things. Um, but then the Vala was the one that uh, the Lord Ruler tried really hard to quash it by killing all the leaders. And that just made the people even more fervent in their beliefs. And so they opposed the Lord Ruler the longest. And uh, Kelsier says, let me grab my book and see what he says. All right. I just needed to be reminded that there were people who fought even when things looked hopeless. And wow, just that whole passage is so much foreshadowing for like when you know how the book ends and you read that, just that page, it's just wow. Kelsier, that really was his plan all along. It's surprising the first time you read it, but when you read it again, you you can see that he he really had that going the whole time. Uh, yes, which that actually leads into what I now remember is the thing I was going to talk about, which was Vin, when are you going to abandon me? And Kelsier, I don't know, because he doesn't know exactly when he'll need to sacrifice himself, but he does know it's coming, so he can't in good conscience tell her, nah, I'm not going to abandon you. Right. So there was an extra layer to that that Dave didn't get yet, because he's not there yet, but... But I love that he picked up on it a little bit. But, oh man, just stab, twist, 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 twist. Ugh. So, yeah, that was pretty much all I had. And we're nearing an hour. We are nearing an hour. Um, so we could have a we could have a short spoilery section today. Oh, I do want to bring up. Uh, we met uh, my my very good adult son who's trying his best felt, who we don't get to see again <laughs> until Oathbringer. Um, he shows up in one of Dalinar's flashback chapters where he goes to meet the Night Watcher and seek out the old magic. Um, because Felt is originally from Scadrial, at some point travels to Roshar, and at some point before taking Dalinar to the Night Watcher, went there himself to try to get old magic powers, uh, and got turned away because he's a little bit too foreign. Yeah, and and that just reminds me that I love how subtly done at all all of these are. Um, so having just finished a reread of Warbreaker and Hoyd's scene in that book is Siri wanted a storyteller and so they got this storyteller from outside of the palace and it happens to be Hoyd and he tells her a story. And so when you're familiar with the wider Cosmere you know who he is and you know that that's actually a deep and meaningful thing. But if someone was just picking up the book and reading it for the first time with no knowledge of the rest of what was going on, then it wouldn't seem jarring or out of place. And you, you get a lot of that with these world hoppers that they're just sort of gently inserted into the story. And you have to, you really have to know in order to catch that this is what's going on. And so when we were talking about the, um, the religion on schedule that's all about colors or was before the ascension, just the idea that there could have been some world hopper from Nalthus that came along and introduced their beliefs on schedule. And yeah, that, that's all I was going to say there. I would actually think it would be many world hoppers in order for them to have like 
um, colors cataloged that extensively, um, just because it does take a certain heightening to even, you know, notice the the very the subtle variations in color from one hue to the next to yeah, that actually, level. Yeah. So it would have to have been like a whole little immigrant population, you think? A rich immigrant population. Yeah. Um, although pre-ascension, um, like there's still Farukami, but there wasn't really Alamancy. They like there were a few Alamancers. It's it's suggested that Alendi was probably a bronze misting, um, but like Alamancy wasn't really known at that point. And sort of by the same token, hemallergy probably wasn't even anything. Like, still possible, but nobody actually bothered practicing it or understanding it or anything like that. So, I mean, coming into Scadriel with your own investiture from, you know, another world, you would be basically as a god to these people. Interesting. Does Awakening work on other worlds? Yes. Yes? Uh, explicitly, yes. We see, um, well, for one, Nightblood is an awakened object, and he's still Yeah, but he's already fine. awakened. Um, we see uh, Vivina or Siri. Which, which one? Dang it. Vivina is the one that leaves with Vasher. Okay, Vivina in Oathbringer. Um, she awakens her cloak... And uses that to help fight the uh, the Voidbringers. Although, I don't know if that was already awakened and just awaiting, you know, the proper circumstances to start working. Or if she, like, actively awakened it as they were going. And then that brings up a secondary question of, if she did actively awaken it, was she using Stormlight to do so? Or was she using Breaths that she already had? I'm leaning more toward the Breath segment. Yeah. Um but now we're now we're sort of getting into the interaction of various magic systems together which uh once Hoyd has at least the second heightening I think is the bare minimum he's he's supposed to have for per- right. for perfect, perfect pitch. Um he should be like throwing off color in a ring around him. Not super duper noticeably, but anybody who's looking should be able to see it. Which, since we never get any sort of hint of that, I'm guessing that he's just burning copper all the time to suppress that. Which then Uh, suggests that copper would suppress that. Which I would guess, you know, would work. Now can't they just suppress it also? Because Vasher being a returned is supposed to be of the fifth heightening. And but you don't know that until the end of the book. Maybe because he's got some way of hiding it. I felt like that was like an act of concentration. And Hoyd, if he can burn copper and it interacts in the way that I suspect it does, would find that way easier to do. Just just keep copper going all the time. Um, I do have some a little bit of curiosity here. Once you have Allomancy, as as Hoyd does, um, do you require metal from Scadriel to burn, or would any metal from anywhere work as long as it was, you know, the right, the right metal, basically? That is a good question. 
I, right off the cuff, I want to say any metal would work, but we know that with breath, only Malfians have the right breath to make that work. Right. So, um, also, in Mistborn Secret History, when we see Kelsier, you know, in the cognitive realm, um, metal is super duper bright. Like, it's, it's clearly invested. Metal and people are, like, all lit up. Um, where that wouldn't necessarily be the case on other worlds, so I kind of wonder how that would work. Um, sort of a corollary to that, now that Hoyt is also a light weaver, um, could he transform things into the metals he needs to burn, since since he now has that power? Right. Although, Good questions. I, I think it's... <laughs> No, it wasn't suggested that like they couldn't make steel. They totally could. It's just harder to work, and they're under time constraints, so they went with bronze. Yeah, that was that was how that worked. So presumably they could they could take like blocks of stone and transform them into steel, which then suggests that just about any other metal would also work. Probably not aluminum, because that's funky. In the Cosmere. Hi, Cat. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. I don't either. It's interesting, though. It is. Um, in Brandon Sanderson news, Skyward is coming out very soon. I'm excited about that. It's exciting. Um, planning on picking that up around Christmas time. Um, oh, we got a new car. Just that's, like it's not yes. related to Cosmere stuff. <laughs> no, not, not Cosmere related at all. We got a new car because our old car died Thursday morning. As the wife was driving to work, she got That's almost nice. an entire block away from the house. Um, so, yeah. The original plan was to go hunt for a new car uh, around March when taxes came in. Uh, but that got scrapped because we need a car. All right. I'm rambling on completely unrelated things. So, yes, you got anything you else? We should probably call it right there. Okay. I may cut this whole section. I probably will. <laughs> Just the car part. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Good night, everybody. Good night, Internet. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.